President Obama bragged in October 2011 he had succeeded in fulfilling a crucial campaign promise. He said, quote, as a candidate for president, I pledge to bring the war in Iraq to a responsible end. Iraqis have taken full responsibility for their country's security. He then added, after nearly nine years, America's war in Iraq will be over. Of course, as soon as America pulled out, ISIS and Iran pulled in. Today, the military requested that 500 more troops be sent to Iraq to prepare a new invasion of Mosul. According to the Wall Street Journal, the new U.S. forces would increase the number of American personnel officially deployed in Iraq from 4,400 to about 4,900. We also have 1,500 additional U.S. forces that the Pentagon doesn't acknowledge as part of the Iraq force. We actually have 6,400 people in Iraq. In July 2011, it's worth remembering, the LA Times reported the White House was considering keeping 10,000 troops in Iraq after the end of the war in order to prevent terrorist uprisings. The White House obviously ended up rejecting that plan, and ISIS used the vacuum in order to overrun Iraq's borders. If Obama had implemented that plan, as the Wall Street Journal's Brett Stevens pointed out today, the U.S. would likely have about like 6,400 troops in Iraq today and no ISIS. And by the way, those ISIS troops, it was reported, are now using mustard gas, that's weapons of mass destruction, against American troops. But that's been Obama's presidency in a nutshell. You promise something undoable, you try to do it, you fail, and then you watch as circumstances force you to embrace the plan you rejected while you still pay for the consequences of your failure. That's what happened in Syria, where Obama once wanted Assad gone, then backed down from his red line, then had to embrace a let Assad kill them position, all the while accepting tens of thousands of Syrian refugees. It happened in Iran, too, where Obama wanted to make Iran part of the global community, and people said this is going to fail. And then he signed a deal to legitimize them. And now he's going to escape office just in time to avoid watching the Iranians thwart the deal utterly under his watch. It happened domestically also. Obama promised universal health care, and then he delivered the Obamacare failure, and now he has to beg states to expand Medicaid to fulfill his promises. Obama's policies have been a giant, massive, undeniable failure. The policies have cost lives. They've destroyed full countries. Now he's trying to put the genie back in the bottle. And it's worth pointing out that if he hadn't been such a stubborn leftist fool, the world would have been a far more peaceful place in the first place. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So first of all, just want to say hello to our sponsors at clubw.com. Club W is a wonderful service. This is If you don't know anything about wine, if you're somebody who is not a wine aficionado, I'm not a wine aficionado, then you go to Club W, and if you go to clubw.com slash Ben, they help you go through kind of what foods do you like, what foods do the people you're going to their house, you need to bring a bottle of wine, what foods do they like, so that you bring the right bottle of wine, and their wine is much cheaper than it would be if you tried to get a custom bottle of wine or if you tried to, to really search out a, a fancy bottle of wine. And if you're somebody like me, you're totally ignorant about how wine works, but you want to get a good bottle of wine that fits your taste palette, you go to clubw.com slash Ben. And if you go there and you use that slash Ben, then you get $20 off your first order now, which is great. I mean, that's that's most of the cost of a bottle in many of these cases. I know you hate paying for shipping, so Club W pays for your shipping on orders of four bottles or more as well. So it's clubw.com slash Ben. And it really is, it's a great service. I mean, I know the wine is good. I can't drink the wine, but I know all of my staffers did. I mean, this is, this is what they do with their spare time is they take advantage of my advertisers by drinking up all the wine and then, and then getting drunk. And then that's how the show looks. I mean, that's why the show looks the way the show looks. But I can attest to the power of the wine and, and they say that the wine is really good. So clubw.com slash Ben, that's the place to go. If you don't know what kind of wine to get and if you want a, a good cost effective bottle of wine, uh, that's going to match whatever your your dinner is going to be that night. Okay, so tons to get to today here on the Ben Shapiro Show. We have the mailbag today, so if you're a subscriber, woohoo for you. You get to be part of the mailbag. We'll be doing that later in the show. But we begin today 
with new information surrounding Keith Scott. This is the guy who was shot in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and that has prompted out-and-out riots in Charlotte, North Carolina. So what his family said is that he was sitting—we discussed this yesterday. He was sitting in his car, supposedly, waiting for his kid to, to get back from school via the school bus, and he was sitting and he was reading a book, right? He was reading a book because he was just—that's that, the kind of guy he was. He sat there and he read Aristotle in his spare time in the middle of downtown Charlotte. Uh, and they said he didn't have a gun. They said that there was no gun present. None. No gun. The police said, uh, guys, there was a gun. Uh, there was a little bit of a gun, and not only was there a gun, we told him to put down the gun. He did not put down the gun. And so we shot him, and he was raising the gun, and he was an imminent threat. Okay, here is a picture, and the police have confirmed that this is indeed a picture of his body. And you will notice an object that is lying near his body. Does that look like a book to you? Now, I understand that President Obama thinks that it's easier to get a gun than a book, but in this particular picture, it was easier to have a gun than a book, apparently. There is a gun next to his body because he did, in fact, have a gun. And the family, you know, they lied about it. They said that there was no gun present, that he was completely unarmed, that he was just an innocent guy shot by the evil white police force. The, the officer who shot him was black. Facts don't matter at all in these situations anymore. And when the tape comes out, they still won't matter because you can have tape that completely exonerates officers and people still come up with a twisted way of interpreting the tape so that it's the officer's fault that somebody gets shot. So naturally, because facts have no relation to the case, because people like Hillary Clinton pretend that this, that this fellow, this Keith Scott guy, was completely innocent, didn't do anything wrong, there are riots. And the riots are horrible. I mean, we have tons of video from the riots. So here is, here is video from what the riots look like. hospital. Uh, and then there's another tape that showed a, a white guy just getting the, the absolute crap beat out of him. Uh, he, he was unlucky enough to be in a parking lot and a bunch of black kids, I don't know if they're kids, I mean, black teenagers, young adults, uh, start beating the living crap out of him just because he's white and he's there. Do we have the video? <laughs> Okay, this is stuff from A Clockwork Orange, honestly. I mean, this is, this is somebody's innocent walking in a parking lot. A bunch of people confront him. They rip off his pants. They're, they're yelling at him. They're beating him. They're kicking him. Somebody runs up and kicks him in the head. He's begging for help. No help is forthcoming. But don't worry. These are just honest protesters. They're just protesters. That's the way this goes. It's all right. You know, we're, we're, we're used to protests like this. I mean, these are, these are the kind of protests I'm sure Martin Luther King would have known. These were necessary in order to forward the social good. Uh, and then there, and then there was a, a, and then there was a fellow working for CNN who was blindsided by a protester, knocked to the ground in the middle of the, in the middle of his broadcast. We have the tape of that one. Oh no, this is the one of, of the Charlotte purpose, protester. Sir. I serve a purpose. My father serves a purpose. My brother serves a purpose. Are you I'm here? Does anyone know, or did anyone see who did the shooting, or are you concerned that? We're not sure exactly oh, what happened. Oh, you want happened. it on video so you can put it on the news, right? No, we're on live, That's actually. That's what you're trying to find we're out. If we got a video so you can elaborate out, make a 
Okay, so you have this this girl screaming that she we don't want any video. Video would show that we might be wrong. So no, we don't have video because video would show that we might actually not be telling the truth about what happened in this particular shooting. Uh, there was also a CNN protester screaming to CNN about Trump. So that was that was lovely. Uh, we have tape of that one also, I believe. Yep, that's it. We were standing outside of police headquarters with about 100, 150 people that were having conversations with police. They were tense, but they were still conversations. Things quickly devolved. Excuse me, sir. Things quickly devolved uh, and then got out of control when they came here. And Don, I'm just see the guy pop his head in and starts cursing. Yeah, so like this sort of behavior yeah, is just wonderful. Go. It's just. It's just terrific. We've seen people looting Walmart. We saw people loot the Charlotte Hornets arena. Quick note to the NBA. Quick note to the NBA. Okay. The NBA wanted to pull games out of Charlotte, North Carolina because of the fear for transgender people. The Charlotte Hornets arena just got looted. It just got looted by some of these folks. They're not pulling games out there. I mean, fear is the real issue here. Wouldn't you think that they might think about postponing games in Charlotte or not playing games in Charlotte if any minute, there could be a conflagration and people should could, could go absolutely nuts. Uh, there, there was, by the way, a CNN reporter who was knocked to the ground in the middle of all of this. And th this is just rioting. I mean, it's just rioting. And some of the people who are protesters are there not even knowing what happened in the shooting. They don't want to know what happened in the shooting because the truth would actually go against their case. The truth would undermine everything that they're trying to argue. And that's their entire problem. Their entire problem is that the truth has no relevance here whatsoever, and therefore, it's totally okay for them to go out and riot on the basis of nothing. So here is the fallout. The fallout is the North Carolina governor, Pat McCrory, he's now declared a state of emergency. He says he hasn't heard from President Obama, who's just absent all the time. President Obama is not even, a, he's not even present. He's not even a person in all of this. Here's the North Carolina governor talking about it. I've just declared a state of emergency. We're going to be bringing in National Guard right now to help the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department, and we're also going to be bringing in state highway troopers to uh, supplement their needs, primarily to uh, protect buildings so the police can arrest those necessary, uh, these people who are causing damage to buildings and also trying to harm people in the, in the great city of Charlotte. Have you, heard, have you heard from the President of the United States yet? I have not, no. Yeah. Shocker, shocker. President Obama goes completely absent. But don't worry, his surrogates are out there saying what he thinks. Here's Hillary Clinton saying, you know, the shooting of this guy. Again, this shooting so far, based on what we've heard, is fully justified. So we'll see if that's not true. But the protesters don't know any more than you do. They don't know more, any more than I do. They're not even waiting to find out whether it's justified or not. They're rioting. Hillary Clinton doesn't wait either. She jumps directly to the conclusion something terrible has happened here. This guy gets shot after apparently pulling a gun on police officers, and Hillary just chalks it right up to white racism. There is still much we don't know about what happened in both incidents. So you but could we shut do up. know that we have two more names to add to a list of African Americans killed by police officers in these encounters. It's unbearable, and it needs to become intolerable. Okay, it's unbearable and it needs to become intolerable. Okay, it's not intolerable for a cop to shoot someone threatening them with a gun. I don't understand. What does she want the cop to do? Just sit there and wait to be shot? Does she want cops to actually just put their lives at risk and never respond to violence? This is insanity. It is unbearable when people get shot unjustifiably. It's quite bearable when they get shot justifiably. And in this particular instance, we don't know all the facts, but we do know that the guy had a gun. The family said he didn't have a gun. That's lie number one. So that leads me to believe that the police are not lying about the rest of the story. John Lewis, 
Uh, this, this is all a get-out-the-vote effort, and we'll explain that in a second. John Lewis, Democratic congressperson from Georgia, he says black people have to get out and vote because of situations like this. African-Americans and all Americans must get out and vote like we never voted before. I, I spent all day yesterday in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, uh, speaking to religious leaders, to ministers, rabbis, um, and I tell you, the people uh, listen. They're going to turn out. They're going to vote. It's not Hillary Clinton race to win alone. We all, all of us, must be involved in winning this election. Okay, and then this is what it's all about. This is all just a giant get out the vote effort. There are riots, there are shootings, and then they say, oh, well, this just shows America's a white racist country. Black people get out there and vote. And, and they've got all of their, all of their ridiculous racial arsonists like Al Sharpton out there making this case. Al Sharpton, of course, needs to be part of any racial story because what you really need when you're trying to calm racial tensions is a guy who helped instigate race riots in Crown Heights in 1991 and helped instigate the burning down of a, of a, of a store owned by Jews, Freddy's Fashion Mart in New York in the mid-90s. That's what you need. You need somebody like Al Sharpton who trotted out the, the Duke lacrosse hoax. Uh, but Al Sharpton says, the thing here is that black officers even, he's trying to deal with the fact that a black officer is the one who did the shooting. He says black officers feel comfortable shooting black people. That's racism too, because if a black officer puts on the blue, they basically turn into a white person. Is it that they want accountability of all law enforcement? Because a policeman in Charlotte is black. This is not even race here. So I think the one thing you're seeing is that the protest that are going on around the country, many of which we've been involved in the National Action Network, uh, is not an anti-white on anti-police, it's anti-accountability. <coughs> it's not anti-white, it's not anti-police, except for the fact that people are running around screaming about white people, attacking white people in their cars, dragging them down in parking lots, and the brother of the guy who was shot is going around saying white people are all devils. So sure, it's not racist. And then you have you know, people like Whoopi Goldberg, and this is where the cultural part of this co comes into play. Whoopi Goldberg, she says that anybody who says that white lives matter is just ignorant. And I don't know what Whoopi did to her hair here. I don't know if she got in, in a fight with a black and decker or what. I mean, she, she looks like something terrible happened. But in any case, here's Whoopi Goldberg. When, you know, when the black lives matter thing goes out there and then what the people say, white lives matter, that that shows an insensitivity to the, you know uh, to it, the it, African American not, community? Uh, to me, wait, wait, no, no. Here's what it shows to me, a slight bit of ignorance, because it's not about, we know white lives matter, we know it, we've seen it, we see, you know, white uh, suspects doing all kinds of stuff with guns and doing, and we don't see them get shot instantaneously, but we do see, we have seen, we have seen a guy in an open carry state saying to the police officer, I have one, yeah. And he gets shot anyway. That's right. So there is a disconnect for us. We know white lives matter. We know this. And, and We've of course, this is a lie. This it. is a lie. It's a lie. Cops shoot white people in the same circumstances as black people more often than they shoot black people. And when she gives that example, I assume that she's talking about the, the Philando Castile case up in Minnesota when she says somebody says to the officer, I have a gun. That's there's no evidence that that happened. Okay, the officer disputes that account. Remember, that tape only started after the guy was shot. So we don't have the full information there. She's just taking for granted what the girlfriend said. Okay, that may be right, it may be wrong, but that's all that she's saying there. It, it, but again, all this just generates 
a narrative that is not true, that black people are being victimized by the, the police on a routine basis, and that's not true statistically speaking, but it does serve the democratic agenda. And in just a minute, I'm going to explain to you what that democratic agenda is. First, we have to say hello to another new advertiser, DSTLD, DSTLD.com slash Ben is the place you need to go. If you want jeans that are really affordable and nice, DSTLD.com slash Ben is the place to do it. You can actually get jeans that would cost you hundreds of bucks starting at $65. I, I have a couple of pairs of their jeans. Again, a lot of our advertisers are so wonderful that I actually go out and end up spending my own money on their product. This is one of them. They, they gave me a free pair of jeans, and then I went out and I actually uh, bought a couple more pairs of jeans. My wife is buying jeans from them. It's DSTLD.com. It's pronounced distilled, but it's DSTLD.com slash Ben. And the fit is terrific. I mean, you go on there and they and they you know you just put in your measurements and then they they get you your and then they get you the, the jeans that you need. And again, the, the price is is really terrific. And if you go to that if you go to that site dstld.com/ben, you get ten bucks off your first pair. They they one of the reasons they're able to do it a lot cheaper is number one they don't have the brand markup, but number two. They also can serve material in a different way than a lot of jean manufacturers. It's dstld.com slash Ben for 10 bucks off right now. So your first pair of jeans is 55 bucks as opposed to 65. Again, dstld.com slash Ben. Make sure you use the slash Ben so that you can ensure that you are, are able to, the, that you can ensure that you are able to, uh, to keep our show going because then they know that we sent you. Uh, so uh, before, we, before we break here, I want to make one more quick point. And that is Instapundit, who's uh, Glenn Reynolds, a professor at University of Tennessee Law School. He was briefly suspended this morning from Twitter. And he was suspended from Twitter this morning after he, after he tweeted that people should run them over. And when he meant run, run them over, well, they're a group of quote-unquote protests. So they're actually rioters who are on the freeways, and they were confronting cars and running at them. And he was saying, don't stop your car. Keep going. He was suspended for that. Instapundit was suspended for that. The video that he's linking to there. You can see it in the tweet. The video that he's linking to there <clears throat> looks like this. This is what the video is. You can see this large group of people rushing the car, and then the car takes off. <clears throat> so the idea here, presumably, <clears throat> I'm blanking the Hillary Clinton frog in my throat here. Uh, apparently, the, the, the idea here is that he, the, the, the driver is just supposed to sit there and wait for the protesters to crack his windshield and drag him out of the car. He tweeted, run them over, meaning keep going, <clears throat> and Twitter and Twitter suspended him. Remember, Twitter is biased. Twitter is biased. Facebook is biased. I love both these sites. They're biased. Okay, Twitter suspends Glenn Reynolds for saying run them over. DeRay McKesson, who is one of the leaders of the, of the Black Lives Matter movement, this extremist radical movement that lies to people and incentivizes people to commit violence against the police, the guy who spoke at Yale, and lectured at Yale and, and wrote an essay and, and recommended an essay called Indefensive Looting. That guy does seminars with the head of Twitter, the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey. He's never been suspended. He's been, ups, he's been upheld by Jack Dorsey as an example of social activism. Twitter now has this logo, right? Where if you type in Black Lives Matter with the hashtag, they give you a bunch of fists upraised like this, right? That's perfectly fine. So Black Lives Matter can say whatever crazy, insane, anti-civilization things they want to say about violence. Nothing. Glenn Reynolds says, if somebody approaches your car, keep going, run them down. And he's suspended from Twitter and he's suspended from Twitter because that's the way this goes. OK, if you want to watch the rest of the show right now live, go to dailywire.com. And today's the day to do it. Today's the day to subscribe because we have the mailbag coming up. And if you're one of the Daily Wire members, then you get to be part of that mailbag, which is pretty awesome. You get to be part of our mailbag. Plus, on a normal day, we can't do it today because I'm on the road. On a normal 
Thursday. We actually do a live back and forth in the middle of the show. You can send me questions in the middle of the show, and I will respond to those questions, which is pretty cool for you because, let's face it, I mean, when are you ever going to get a chance to talk to somebody like me? Come on. Unless you're a member. Eight bucks a month. Dailywire.com is the place to be right now if you do it, and you get an annual subscription. Then you get a copy of Andrew Clavin's new book, The Great Good Thing, which, as I've talked about, is a really interesting, really well-written book with a lot of interesting ideas in it. It's about his conversion experience, uh, really from secularism to Christianity. He talked about secular Jew to, to Christianity, but he grew up in a very secular Jewish household that really had no relation to Judaism, was kind of anti-Judaism. In any case, you can get all that, plus my novel's coming out. You'll get a copy of that at dailywire.com right now. You go and sign up for the annual subscription, which is, which is pretty cool. So dailywire.com, eight bucks a month. Skimp on the cheeseburger. Go get the subscription now. And help us out. So dailywire.com for the most prominent and the, the, most, uh, the most listened to daily podcast, daily conservative podcast in America, The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, so we can continue now. So we shall continue. Right, we can continue, guys. Yes? We good? Okay. Okay, so we are, we are back. Okay, so all of this leads up to the real agenda for the Democrats. So the Democratic agenda here is one. One, we are going to jack up the black vote by threatening black people that everything is terrible and, and they better get out there and vote. And the second thing that we are going to do is we are going to send the DOJ down there. So Loretta Lynch, who's the head of the DOJ, uh, the, as, as Clavin calls her, the blandly sinister attorney general of the United States, she says to the protesters, meaning the rioters, quote, we hear your voices and we feel your pain. Now, this is a game we've heard before. We heard this at one point from the attorney from the, the district attorney in Baltimore when she was pledging that she was going to prosecute a bunch of non-guilty people in Baltimore over the death of Freddie Gray. And then she falsified a bunch of evidence and she lied about what was going on. And now she's being sued. Loretta Lynch does the same thing. She goes, we feel your pain. We hear your voices. We feel your pain. Okay, this is the game that Obama and his DOJ want to play. The game they want to play is telling black people all over America that they are victims. So what's happening is the DOJ is sending members of the Community Relations Service, the community, the CRS, to the city of Charlotte, four members, plus they're going to do a DOJ investigation of the shoot and of the police department. Okay, if you think this is going to ease tensions, ease stressors, that's, you have to be out of your mind. The DOJ has a grand history of using taxpayer money to do terrible things. When they went down to Florida during the Trayvon Martin situation, they actually used federal government money, your taxpayer money, to facilitate busing people to Trayvon Martin protests. That's what the DOJ Community Relations Service did. And they lectured the residents of Ferguson, Missouri, about white privilege and racism after thug Michael Brown tried to kill a cop and got shot for his trouble. So all this is clearly going to make things better. But this is what really is, and I think this is something more nefarious, and that's what I'll call the inside-outside game. This is something Democrats have been playing in major cities for a very, very long time, the inside-outside game. The inside-outside game is where, the, is where the left helps promote and promulgate riots, civil disobedience, violence. They do all of these things. And then the idea is the federal government has to respond to the trouble they've created. Right? They, they, it's, it's sort of basically all it really is is it's the mob. It's the mob coming into your store and the mob saying to you, right, nice store you got here. It'd be a shame if something happened to you. So it's so this is the same thing. They start these riots in, in these cities. They promote them. We feel your pain. We want to help you out. And then there are riots. And then they come in and they say, okay, well, now we're going to take control of your police department. Isn't that amazing how that worked? Right? You complain, you whine about the situation when somebody is apparently shot justifiably by a black cop. 
and we're supposed to now believe, we're, we're now supposed to be concerned uh, because you're going to come in with the, with the full power of law enforcement and you're going to crack down on the local police. You're going to federalize the police, essentially. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. That, but they've been doing this for decades. So Marion Barry used to do this in Washington, D.C. before he was mayor. It's called riot politics. And the idea is you riot to get attention and then the politicians pay you off by threatening the general public. If you don't want riots like this, you need more welfare. If you don't want riots like this, you need more police oversight. If you, want, if you don't want more riots like this, you need whatever is the latest governmental program of the day that you wish to promote. So now the DOJ is doing that routine, which is really disgusting. The DOJ is going to go down to Charlotte. And no matter what the situation is in Charlotte, it could be the greatest police force in the world. It could be a wonderful, wonderful police force. It could be fine. But none of that matters. It doesn't matter one iota. And the reason it doesn't matter is because the DOJ will find some reason, some excuse to cram down a consent decree on the police department. They did this in Seattle. So I used to do a radio show in Seattle before I did the podcast. Uh, and uh, and one, one of the things that happened in Seattle is that without any evidence whatsoever, the DOJ crammed down a, a consent decree on the Seattle Police Department. They acknowledged there was no evidence of systemic or systematic racism in the Seattle Police Department. They said so. They said, but the community feels there is, and therefore we're going to come in and we're going to fix it with the power of the federal government. Now, notice, then again, no evidence, no need for any of this, but there is a need for the left to do this stuff. So the left has an interest in, in this sort of political polarization. Police shoot suspects in America every day, but only the shootings that prompt riots prompt DOJ attention. Like a thousand shootings by the police every year in which people are killed. DOJ doesn't care about 950 of them, but the ones that generate all sorts of media attention, that's the ones where they descend on the police department. This one happens to be, as you see, in a swing state that Hillary Clinton is looking to win. Right? We've now seen these things happen. They only happen in democratic states or swing states. Right? When, 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 there's a, when there's a big problem in Dallas, you don't see a full investigation of the Dallas PD. Right? What you do see is this thing happening in North Carolina or in Missouri, which is a swing state. You've seen it happen in Baltimore, which is a democratic city. The Democrats only care about political power, and they are willing to destroy the police departments in order to achieve that. In fact, that's their goal. They get to come in and take control at the same time they're driving out the black vote. So it's really a twofer. So if you wonder why the left seems so sanguine about people running around beating up random folks and breaking windows and looting stores and burning things and assaulting journalists. Journalists had to go to the hospital last night trying to throw a photographer into the fire. They tried to do that last night, like Stannis in, in Game of Thrones. I mean, that, if that is the routine that, that, that they're doing, there's a reason for it. And it's always about political power. So that brings us to Hillary Clinton. So Hillary Clinton, I mean, she needs, she needs more riots, she thinks, to drive up the black vote. I think she's going to get a surprise. I think that the more riots there are, the more of this sort of racial polarization there is, the more it helps Trump. But Hillary is, is really having a tough time out there because she is legitimately awful at this. Awful, awful, awful at this. So Hillary Clinton did a speech, I think it was on video, to, to unions. And, uh, and in the middle of that speech, she just loses her mind. She absolutely loses her mind. Here's Hillary Clinton losing her, I mean, just going, going after this clip 12, going absolutely crazy. Why aren't I 50 points ahead, you might ask? Well, the choice for working families has never <coughs> been clearer. I need your help to get Donald Trump's record out to everybody. Nobody should be fooled. Woo. Okay, so she loses her mind, and uh, I don't think there's much left there, but, I mean, boy, Hillary, are, are you going to just trying to shout people into supporting you? I mean, I understand that this is sort of how your marriage is run. Every so often you have to shout at Bill to get him to stay married to you. But I mean, goodness gracious, lady. Woo! 
And that's a, that's some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, why aren't I 50 points ahead, you might ask? Because of you! Right? That's, that's what she's really saying. She's not saying because of me, because I suck at my job, because I'm super corrupt, because the FBI almost indicted me, because I almost collapsed in the middle of the public square, because I may be dying and nobody knows about it. That's not why I'm losing by, by a couple of points or why I'm in a close race. The reason I'm down or the reason I'm running even is be, and I'm not up by 50 points is because of you, because you haven't been getting out the word about Donald Trump stinking. Lady, everybody knows Donald Trump stinks. Right? I mean, even the people who like Donald Trump know that Trump isn't an ideal candidate. His unpopular ratings are just as high as yours. The reason that you're losing right now is because of you. The reason you're losing is because you're terrible at this. And that's why she has to go to these more extreme tactics of now trying to equate justified police shootings with unjustified police shootings and saying everything is racism. Everything is racism. And so now she's going to do her racial pander. So basically, Hillary Clinton's strategy in this election cycle is she wants to win minorities. She wants to win women. She wants to win college-educated whites. Trump's strategy, which complements this strategy, is he only wants to win high school-educated whites. Apparently. I mean, he's, he's, he's not doing well among any of the other groups. He's doing very, very well among non-college-educated whites. In North Carolina, Hillary Clinton is up by like one point, or it's very close in a couple of the polls, pretty much all the polls. It's within a point or two, either way. And, uh, and Hillary is up one among white college-educated voters, which is rare. Usually those go Republican. And, uh, and she's down 49 points, 49 points among high school-educated whites. So Hillary's trying to jack up the minority vote. She's trying to imitate the Obama coalition of 2012. Let's get some outsized minority vote in there. So now she's making the case that all undocumented workers are good and we can't support any of them. In a competitive 21st century global economy, we cannot afford to leave talent on the sidelines. When we leave people out or write them off, we not only shortchange them and their dreams, we shortchange our country and our own futures. That's one reason why I care so much about supporting working parents. It's one reason why I'm such a strong supporter of comprehensive immigration reform, because bringing millions of undocumented workers into the formal economy will decrease abuse and exploitation, and it will increase our economic growth and our tax base. Okay, she's such she's so terrible at this. So she's making the case that minority voters should show up to the polls. By the way, she does look healthier here. She doesn't look like she's deaf. She looks like the Grim Reaper, but she doesn't look like deaf. I mean, there's there's sometimes she looks like she's going to die, and other times she looks like she's gonna be the one who carries you off to hell on the wings of her on the wings that are upon her back. But that said, you know, Hillary Clinton doing this doing this routine, it's all about driving out the vote. But she's desperate at this point. She literally does not understand how she could possibly be running in a competitive race with Trump. Because she's the, she's the best person she knows. She's the best person she knows. And so she, I, I, I can't get over that clip. The, can we play it one more time? I just have to. The one where she says, why is she not 50 points ahead? Clip 12. It's just too amusing. We have to play it again. Why aren't I 50 points ahead, you might ask? Well, the choice for working families has never been clearer. I need your help to get Donald Trump's record out to everybody. Ooh. Nobody should be fooled. Okay, crazy lady. I can't imagine why you're not 50 points ahead with a, with, a, with a lovely, gentle demeanor like that. I can't imagine why people aren't swooning over you. Goodness gracious. Okay, we have to take a quick break for U.S. Tax Shield, folks. So U.S. Tax Shield, if you have a problem with your taxes, if the IRS is targeting you or if you just haven't paid your back taxes, 
you have personal tax liability or business payroll tax liability, fees and penalties, you need to call in for your free consultation right now at 800-542-2226, or you can visit them at ustaxshield.com slash Ben. When you call them, they will call the IRS with you, get on the line, find out how much you owe, and then they will give you a guaranteed quote that does not increase at any time. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Again, that's ustaxshield.com slash Ben to find out what are the resolution programs for which you qualify and, uh, and make sure that you use that slash Ben. Again, it's ustaxshield.com slash Ben so they know that we sent you. Okay, so in the face of all of this Democratic incompetence, in the face of the fact that Hillary Clinton can't win for losing, that she's awful, awful, awful at this, in the face of the fact that the Democrats are racially desperate, Donald Trump continues to campaign. And so now it's time for our Daily Dose. Thank you to Brandon Snipes for the theme. Our Daily Dose of Good Trump, Bad Trump. Yes. Okay, so we will begin, let's see, let, let's begin with bad Trump, because there's actually more good Trump than bad Trump today, although it's a little bit close. So let's start with bad Trump. So <clears throat> Trump has asked why he changed his mind about birtherism, and uh, this should be dead at this point, right? I mean, he should just say, I changed my mind about birtherism because Obama released his birth certificate. The problem for him is that he said after Obama released his birth certificate that he thought it was a fake. So he sort of told the truth. And this is the problem is that Trump tells the truth when it is least politically viable to do so. And he lies the rest of the time. So here is Trump on why he changed on birtherism. After all the years where you've expressed some doubt, what changed? Well, I just want to get on with, uh, you know, we want to get on with the and a lot of people were asking me questions, and you know, we want to talk about jobs, we want to talk about the military, we want to talk about ISIS and how to get rid of ISIS. We want to really talk about bringing jobs back to this area because you've been decimated. So we really want to get just back onto the subject of jobs, military, taking care of our vets, etc. Okay, so, so he says that he just wants to change the subject. This is bad, Trump, because um, that doesn't change the subject. Now everybody thinks that you're actually still a birther. So that doesn't help you very much. Again, not the world's smartest response. He should, if somebody says, why did you want to change the subject? Why, why did you change your mind on the birther issue? You just say, I believe President Obama was born in America. Just did, don't answer the question. Just say Obama was born in America. Okay, other bad Trump. So Trump says he's troubled by the Tulsa police shooting. That's fine. I said I was troubled by the tape that we saw of the Tulsa police shooting on the day that it happened. But Donald Trump has no capacity to rein it in. So he has to go further and suggest that this guy was just the most innocent person who ever lived, not so much. I must tell you, I watched the shooting in particular in Tulsa. And that man was hands up. That man went to the car, hands up, put his hand on the car. I mean, it, to me, it looked like he did everything you're supposed to do. This young officer, I don't know what she was thinking. I don't know what she was thinking, but I'm very, very troubled by that. I'm very, very troubled by that. And we have to be very very careful. Okay, so you can be troubled by it when he says he looked like he was doing everything that that he could do. Well, he did stop his car in the middle of the street, prompting several 911 phone calls. He was apparently... They, they, the reports are he was acting like he was high at the time. There was PCP in his car. He did disobey officers and walk away from the officers. Yes, his hands were raised until he got to the car, at which point his hands were not raised anymore. So, 
again, it's it's like I'm glad that Trump said that he's troubled when the tape is troubling, but Trump has no capacity to rein it in. He, he has to he has to turn it into a black and white moral scenario, which it probably is not, meaning that she probably did something wrong um, because other people with her were tasing the guy. Um, but the idea that this guy was a model citizen, both things can be true at once. He could be not a model citizen. Also, he could it could be an unjustified shoot. OK, now it's time for some good Trump. So Trump answers Hillary's question. Hillary asks, why am I not 50 points ahead? And Donald Trump has a pretty simple answer for her. Why isn't she ahead by 50 points by right now? Because she's terrible. I mean, she's had a terrible record. Everything she touches is bad. You look at what's going on with Libya, and you look at, at the surge, and you look at all of her decisions, and you look at the Iran deal, which is one of the dumbest deals I've ever seen, which she started. Yeah, well, that would be it right there. And then he's exactly right, of course. And then he says, you know what we need to fix all of the problems that we have right now in, in, with regard to race relations? We need a leadership message. This is also true. This is good Trump. There's no unity. You look at the level of hatred, the, you know, the rocks being thrown and everything happening. It's so sad to see, you know, that this is the United States of America. I mean, it's so sad to see. But there's just no unity. There has to be a unity message somehow that has to get out. And it starts with leadership. And that, of course, is exactly true. That is exactly true. And Obama has not provided that leadership. It's one of the saddest elements of his presidency. Is the one area where everybody sort of expected him or thought maybe he would provide some moral leadership. Nothing. Nothing. No moral leadership. So, so good. Again, good Trump there. Good Trump. And then Trump says something that's more controversial for a lot of conservatives. He says that he would do stop and frisk. Now, I think this is good Trump, and I'll explain why in just a second, why I think that the civil libertarians are misinterpreting what he's saying. I want to know what would you do to help stop that violence, you know, black on black crime. Right. Well, one of the things I'd do, Ricardo, is uh, I would do stop and frisk. I think you have to. We did it in New York. It worked incredibly well. And you have to be proactive. And, you know, you, you really help people sort of change their mind automatically. You understand. You, you have to have, in my opinion, I see what's going on here. I see what's going on in Chicago. I think stop and frisk. In New York City, it was so incredible the way it worked. Now, we had a very good mayor, but New York City was incredible the way that worked. So I think that would be one step you could do. Okay, so people are misinterpreting this in two ways. So there are civil libertarians who say you can't have national stop and frisk because that's a violation of the Fourth Amendment, right? The idea for stop and frisk is that it's illegal to carry guns in New York City. So if somebody's carrying a gun, it's by nature an illegal gun in New York City. That doesn't hold true in Texas. So in a concealed carry state, how do you even do stop and frisk? I don't think that's what Trump means. I don't think Trump thinks it through, but what he really means is I'm not going to use the federal government to cram down an anti-stop-and-frisk leftist position on cities like New York where guns are already essentially illegal, and we're we're just not going to crack down on New York for actually policing the laws that are on the books. I don't think that he means that everybody in the middle of Vermont suddenly has to be worried the police are going to show up and start frisking them. What this has also led to is a second criticism, which is it sounds like Trump is saying that he only wants to do stop-and-frisk in black communities. Again, I don't think that that's really what he's saying. I think he's saying in black communities, these places are typically in inner cities, which are in Democrat controlled areas, where the Democrats have already instituted large scale gun control. And so if you're actually going to enforce the law with regard to gun control, then stop and frisk isn't a bad way to do it. Now, the real, the realistic answer, again, I, I don't think this is, this is terrible Trump. I don't think it's great Trump. I really don't think it's, it's bad Trump. The reason I don't think that, that, it's, that it's terrible Trump is because of all the things I just said. The reason I don't think it's great Trump is because I'm not in favor of gun control generally. <clears throat> so I think if New York City 
got rid of a lot of the gun control laws, but there was still heavy police presence and people were allowed to carry guns. You'd, what you'd see is a lot fewer people shooting each other in, in some of these areas because people could defend themselves. So again, I'm not in favor of gun control, but the point that Trump is making, I think, is that in major cities where there already is gun control, if you're going to enforce the law, enforce the law. Okay, time for some things that I like, some things I hate, and then we'll get to the mailbag. So things I like, we've been doing classic comedies this week. This is a classic comedy from, I'm trying, I, I believe this is 1940. Uh, this is uh, the Philadelphia story with Katherine Hepburn. Katherine Hepburn had had a string of bombs uh, in, in the theaters, and they had actually stopped using her in films before the Philadelphia story because every time she was on screen, it was a bomb. And, of course, this is people don't remember this because she's, of course, maybe the most iconic actress in, in Hollywood history. She actually bought the rights to the play The Philadelphia Story herself, and then she got the studio to produce it. And, uh, and it's, it's a great movie. Her, Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant, uh, kind of a screwball comedy in which she has, is getting divorced from Cary Grant, uh, and she decides that she's going to marry this other kind of smooth-talking guy. And Jimmy Stewart is the society reporter who shows up to report on this wedding, and her ex-husband introduces Jimmy Stewart as his, as his long-lost friend so that he can get in and report on this. And that's, that's the setup for the Philadelphia story. slipping red. I used to be afraid of that look. The withering glance of the goddess. I didn't think that alcohol would do... Oh, shut up. <laughs> Dinah, stay here. Oh, please, Mother. Maybe he's going to soccer again. It's what everybody feels about you. It's what I first worshipped you for from afar. George, listen. First, now, and always. Only from a little nearer now. Hey, darling? I don't want to be worshipped, I... I want to be loved. Someday over the rainbow, way up high. What is this, Connor? Oh, easy, easy, old man. She's not hurt? No, no. Not wounded, sir, but dead. Seems the minute she hit the water, the wine hit her. Now, look here, Connor. A likely story, Connor. Hello, Dexter. Hello, George. Hello, Mike. Oh. So the movie, it, it's, it's a great classic screwball comedy. I think that um, um, I'm trying to remember who, who won Oscars for this. There are a couple of Oscars that got one here. It was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, you know, obviously, it was filmed in 1940, so nowadays you couldn't have that, that opening shot of, of Cary Grant pushing Catherine Hepburn down because it would be uh, the end of the world because obviously nobody's in favor of female abuse. I'm not in favor of it. Nobody is. But the movie itself is, is a great movie. Other things that I like, The Egyptian President. Uh, General uh, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, uh, he is, um, he's an actual moderate Muslim reformer. He has good relations with Israel, which, of course, is why President Obama has basically shut him out. Here he was on national television last night saying, yes, we absolutely ought to rip into radical Islam. From where you sit, is it fair to call the broader issue that we're seeing radical Islamic terror or not? Yes, it is extremism. It's truly extremism. Islamic extremism, which is something that we must confront and we must correct the Islamic rhetoric. I'm a Muslim man, and it's very, very hard on me to say what I'm saying, but this is the truth. Okay, it's exactly right, and that's exactly why Obama's ignoring him. Obama's chosen to make allies with, with the Iranians, and he's left al-Sisi out there to dry. 
the one guy in the Muslim world who's actually saying the truth in a leadership position about radical Islam, Obama leaves him out to dry, which should tell you everything that you need to know about President Obama. Okay, let's do some things I hate. Okay, so first thing that I hate, celebrities, we all know what they think. We all know that they hate Trump. We all know that they want to vote for Hillary Clinton. I don't know why they think in the world that if they cut an ad against Trump, that people are going to go out and vote against Trump, that suddenly people are convinced, ooh, Don Cheadle doesn't like Trump. But Josh Whedon, who's the, the guy who did Firefly, and now he directs the Avengers films, uh, he, he created a, a, the Save America pack. And, uh, and he said that he has to stop the orange, the orange Hitler. Right? Everybody's got a Hitler reference these days for, for Donald Trump. And, uh, and so he had all of these celebrities cut this anti-Trump ad. Apparently, one of the celebrities that you're about to see said that he was not aware this was going to be quite so partisan. He was afraid of alienating half of his audience. Uh, it didn't stop him from being part of the ad, though. On Tuesday, November 8th, this country will make one of the most important. The most important. The most important decisions in its history. You have a chance. You have an obligation. To be a part of that decision. You might think it's not important. You might think you're not important. But that's not true. And the only way we can prove that to you is by having lots of famous people. Lots of famous people. Lots and lots of famous people. Just a sh ton of famous people. Repeating how important. 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 How important it is. Register. 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 Vote. There's so many famous people. Some of us aren't as famous, but still pretty famous. Like, you've seen us somewhere. Sometimes that you're not famous person will be mixed in with the famous ones. They drive the message home because of their unpolished sincerity. Their unpolished sincerity. But you only get this many famous people together if the issue is one that truly matters to all of us. A disease or ecological crisis or a racist, abusive coward who could permanently damage the fabric of our society. Do the math. Do we really want to give nuclear weapons to a man whose signature move is firing? Firing? Firing things? But we can end this nightmare before it begins. We can save the day. Uh, okay, so at least there's a little bit of self-effacing humor there, the idea that they understand they're celebrities, but that defeats the purpose of the commercial. Because obviously, we know that they're celebrities. We don't care about them. We already know what they believe. We already know they hate Donald Trump. In fact, this is going to provoke exactly the sort of response they don't want, which is people like me saying, God, maybe I'll vote for Trump just to stop these jerks. Why would I possibly want to be on the same side of any issue, of any issue, as some of these celebrities who are there? Is they, Why would I possibly give a crap what all the Avengers, what, what Mark Ruffalo has to say about politics? Why, now, I'm, now I just want to go to vote just to spite him. And it's 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 so stupid. It's it's really stupid politics. I, I hate that celebrities think that we ought to care what they think about politics. Uh, I, I find it highly irritating. Just because you're good at reading somebody else's lines, like in this commercial, doesn't mean that you are a good political thinker. You know, how about you actually offer some evidence for your positions before you? Just, I mean, really, your best argument, your best argument, the only argument provided against Donald Trump is that he's going to nuke the world. That's your best argument. Do you even understand how nuclear nuclear weapons works? Like the like the process that you have to go through before a nuclear weapon is fired. It's not like it is in the movies. Okay, it's not like the president has a big button on his desk and he hits it and then a nuclear weapon goes off. That's not how it works. But it doesn't matter. Stupid celebrities, self-aggrandizing stupid celebrities, thinking that they are the end, the be-all, end-all. That's that's all that matters to them. So another just another thing I hate. Okay, time for the world famous 
often imitated, never duplicated. Ben Shapiro Show mailbag. Yes, let's do this thing. Okay. Kevin writes, hey, Ben, so I've got a really hypothetical question here. Let's say some of the Hillary's health conspiracies are true, and she's very ill and cannot be a candidate anymore. Who replaces her? Kane, Sanders, Biden, Obama wearing a mustache? So it's unclear. There, there have been a couple of different processes that have been rolled out. Her name would probably remain on the ballot because the ballots have already been printed. It's too late to take her off. But the person who replaces her would not necessarily be Tim Kaine. That's sort of the idea would be it would be Kaine, but it doesn't have to be. Theoretically, the DNC could substitute somebody. It probably would not be Bernie Sanders. You could have a white knight candidate, but in all likelihood, at this point, they'd probably just make it Kaine. At this point, they'd probably just make it Kaine. Although Obama wearing a mustache is not a terrible suggestion. Another Kevin writes, hey, Ben, I'm a recent subscriber. I love your show. What would you say to those who claim Donald Trump is a fascist and try to draw parallels between him and Mussolini or Hitler? I found this to be a very common sentiment among the Never Trump group. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, so he's not Mussolini or Hitler. He is a he is a self-aggrandizing, centralized government narcissist. But Mussolini actually got rid of all other forms of civil government except for himself. And obviously, so did Hitler. They, they aggrandized all power in themselves. I don't see Trump doing that. I don't see him really trying to do that. I think that if Trump gets into office, he doesn't care about small government, but I also don't think that he's somebody who has the, the sort of world-beating ambition of a Mussolini or a Hitler, somebody who says, give me all the power in the world and I will wield it. Uh, I, I don't think that, that Trump, honestly, I, I think he's lazier than that. Um, but beyond that, if you look at the philosophy of Mussolini or Hitler, they were both devotees of, of Marxist philosophy. And Mussolini actually edited a Marxist journal. Hitler's party was the National Socialist Party, uh, and, and he believed very strongly in, in the power of centralized government, looking much more like Hillary Clinton in policy uh, than, than Donald Trump. Steven Crowder has a new video about this that's, that's pretty funny and, and very good with regard to the content, looking at sort of the issues and where Trump versus Hillary stands, much more in line with Hillary than with, than with Trump. James writes, hey, Ben, recently in my AP U.S. history course, my teacher, a self-proclaimed social democrat, insisted that Christians, Judeo, the Judeo-Christian founding principles of the country are in name only and are juxtaposed by the capitalistic every-man-for-himself idea that is against the idea of the golden rule. What is your take on this? Also, as an avid Harambe fan, peace be upon him, it is shameful that you pronounce his name Harambe when in fact it is pronounced Harambe. Charges must be made immediately or else I'm taking back my $8. Okay, that is fair. I have to admit, I am a latecomer to the Harambe game. And therefore, I will take your word for it that it is, in fact, Harambe and not Harambe. Uh, and uh, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. As far as the idea that Judeo-Christian values are in opposition to the golden rule uh, that, or are in, are in opposition to the, the every man for himself idea of capitalism, this is sheer nonsense. If you read the Bible, there's nothing in the Bible that suggests socialism. The only part of the New Testament that suggests anything remotely like that is it says the apostles shared all they had amongst them. That's because they were all they all had a common purpose and they all were, were basically a religious society, a religious order, not because all of civil society should be ordered along those lines. If you look at the Old Testament, which is the one I care about, it has essentially a 22.5% flat tax. When you calculate all the truma and the maser, the, the, uh, the, the tithing and the secondary tithing and the first fruits and all this stuff, you end up with somewhere between a 17 and a 22% flat tax depending on the year. So the idea that, that the, the Bible is anti-capitalism the Bible explicitly says you're not allowed to steal other people's property many, many, many times. And you're not allowed to do it just because you're poor. There are specific laws with what you're allowed to give to the poor. In Judaism, the idea is you're supposed to give 10% to the poor, which is something I need to be better about. But you're, you're actually not supposed to give more than 20% of your wealth away because you're supposed to make sure that you have enough for your family. So the idea that capitalism and the values of capitalism are anti-golden rule, 
Capitalism is all about the golden rule. I can't steal from you. That's the golden rule. Capitalism only works if we obey certain societal norms. Right? This is why capitalism without the basis of a Judeo-Christian morality doesn't work because capitalism has to be rooted in the notion of fair play. It has to be rooted in the notion that I can't just take things from you because I'm stronger. Derek writes, hey, I'm a student at UC Santa Barbara. Me and my housemates are having a Harambe party on Friday. Wanted to see if you want me to put anything on the altar for you. P.S. Take a shot for Harambe. He took one for you. I will, Derek. I will. And as far as do I want there to be uh, an actual sacrifice to Harambe? No, I'm not an idolater, dude. I mean, I, I understand that Harambe is a saint, but I don't think that he's I don't think he's God. And it, maybe that gets me thrown out of the Harambe club. Uh, although, you know, well, uh, I believe his application for sainthood has been put in at this point, has it not? I mean, he, he, he's, he, is he a go-between yet? Can he, can he speak our prayers straight to God? I don't know. I don't know. Richard writes, hey, Ben, as a high school student, I feel I should ask your take on this. My school announced it would interfere and take action in bullying incidents that occur outside of the school campus and outside school hours. Do you think high schools should intervene in the lives of students outside of school grounds? Thanks, Richard. No, I don't. I don't think high schools have anything to do with your life outside of school. I think this is what parents are for. And I think that if you have good parents and another kid is bothering you outside of school, you should call up that kid's parents. The schools can't handle this stuff anyway. I mean, the idea the school is going to take any sort of measure that is going to shut down bullying off hours. I mean, I assume they're talking about online bullying. I assume they're talking about the idea that somebody posts on Facebook stuff like go die somewhere, you know, that, that kind of thing, nastiness. Well, Number one, if you're actually threatening somebody, that's illegal. If you threaten violence against somebody, that's illegal. Um, but beyond that, uh, no, I don't, I don't think that the school really has a role in that. I think that's what civil. I don't think the government has a role in that. I think that, that that's what civil society are for. This is this is where communities matter. You know, in, in my religious community, the idea is if a kid acts really badly, everybody knows each other, so the word goes around, and it and it harms their social standing, and it harms the family's social standing. So keep your kid in line. I think that's a, a better rule as opposed to sort of administrators deciding what's bullying and what's not. Josh writes, hi, Ben. What do you think is the extent of children's rights? How much autonomy should they be afforded? Is 18 the appropriate age of adulthood? Thanks for the show. Okay, so when it comes to children's rights, uh, this is the, the last question, unfortunately, even though we have lots of questions. So you'll, some of them will wait till next week. Um, the extent of children's rights, I think that rights are, are closely related to responsibilities. So if you're talking about legal rights, when legal rights should accrue to a child, I think 18 is probably right in today's society, given that we have kids until they're 27 now. I mean, basically, people who are my age are still acting like small children. The cast of Friends, they were 40 and living in apartments, acting like high school students. But uh, yeah, as far as how you, bring, how you bring up your own children, the sort of rights that you should grant your own children before they're 18, every kid is different. Some kids are more responsible. Some kids are less responsible. The more responsible they are, the more rights they should have, is, is my basic view of this. And that changes student to student. It's hard to have a hard and fast rule about responsibility. Um, but I think 18 is not the worst age in the world for that. Okay, so this brings us to the end of this week. But don't worry, we will be back next week with much, much more. Try not to ruin the country while I'm gone. And if you're, at, if you're in Virginia, come on out to Roanoke College tonight. I will be speaking, spend the next hour letting my voice recover. And then we'll be speaking at Roanoke College tonight. I think it's 7 p.m. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, 
Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 